The scripture I chose for today can be found in Matthew 25, 36. I don't have overheads, so you're going to need to use your Bibles. And if you don't have one, use the pew Bible in front of you, the red one. But in Matthew 25, 36, it says, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And uh, today what I'm going to share with you is my own personal testimony as a volunteer with Prison Ministries. My journey actually started back in 2006, September, when my father passed away. I felt such a great loss for the patriarch of our family. He was the one that was always preaching to us, always handing out the pamphlets. He was the one that was making sure that the children knew that the time was coming when we needed to finish the work. And I felt that the Lord had passed on to me that responsibility. And I wanted to finish the work. I wanted to be reunited with my parents and the loved ones that had gone on before me. I had a sense of urgency, but I didn't know what it was that I was to do. But I did know that my time of sitting on the fence was over. We all know and are seeing calamities greater than ever before. Proportions that we haven't witnessed of earthquakes and now fires in Arizona, tornadoes and tsunamis. And uh, it's a reminder that times are changing. I was uh, looking this week and um, found in the Adventist world an article titled, Time to Wake Up. In fact, it's past time. And so I read it, and this really struck me. I'm just going to give you a few statistics. There have been more than 400 earthquakes of a magnitude of seven or above since 1556. Only 21 of those were between 1556 and 1843 including the biblically significant 8.7 Lisbon earthquake in 1755. The number and frequency clearly in indicates an increase in the 20th century, but it exploded fivefold in the 21st century. Between 2004 and 2011, we're just three or five months into it, there have been 90 major earthquakes. It took 377 years from 556 to 1933 to experience 100 of these earthquakes. It only took the past seven years to experience 90. No wonder people are saying, what's going on? Preachers are predicting the end of the world, one claiming that's going to be October 21st, 2011. And I was reading in Signs of the Times yesterday, kind of interesting, it says, many people today expect a global disaster to occur in the year 2012. Should you be concerned? In December 2012, at the winter solstice, when the sun and the earth precisely align with the galactic equator, 
the Mayan long count calendar will come to an end. Now this is just one of many of their calendars. They were great mathematicians and they had calendars of, of different sorts. But this one in particular was what they called the long count and it was predicting more or less the end of the world so that when the calendar ended, so goes the world. Its beginning points back to a time five centuries before the pyramids, 1,500 years before the Exodus, and the midpoint came around the time that Daniel spent a night in the cave with the lions. Two full millennium have passed since the birth of Christ, and still the long count continues. But now, according to this calendar, the end of the world's cycle is in sight. And they're even making a movie about December 21, 2012. This is supposedly to mark the end of the world. So we have people and scholars and writers and so forth saying, you know, the time, time is coming. The world is coming to an end. Should we be afraid? What does the Bible say about the end times? The disciples wanted to know. And they asked Jesus in Matthew 24, 3, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus replied in Matthew 24, 4, take heed that no one deceives you. Verse 36, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. We are to watch and be diligent in prayer, study, and in witnessing. In the book of Habakkuk, this is one of the minor prophets between Nahum and Zephaniah at the end of the Old Testament, God gives direction as to what our mission is to be. Habakkuk 2, 1 through 3 reads, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision make it plain upon tablets that he may run who reads it for the vision is yet for an appointed time but at the end it will speak and it will not lie though it tarries wait for it because it will surely come it will not tarry how are we to finish this work god has promised that he will show us and direct us Last year, as I sat listening to Michael Ashley, director of Touch of Love, talk about his experiences in uh, prison ministry, I really had no intention of becoming involved. But you know, I wondered about that command that said that we were to go into the prisons and visit. I wondered what it meant, why Jesus would say that. After all, weren't these the great sinners who had been caught in their sins and were in the process of being uh, punished. But you know, the way that Michael presented the information, I started to think, you know, it doesn't sound so bad. Then I saw others raising their hands and I thought, I'll give it a try. You know, I can write letters or I can go into the jail and, you know, sing and help the team. We started with just three of us initially entering Theo Lacey Jail near the UCI Hospital. I was to conduct the music 
and help with reading scripture and maybe prayer. But the real leaders were Lou and Carlos. They were going to present the message. So I sat back and I enjoyed my time and I tried to get comfortable in my new environment. I did not imagine that I would be giving many sermons. When Lou gave me the assignment, I initially thought, I can do this, piece of cake, no problem. I'd just get up there and talk and schmooze a little with the guys. However, I was nervous the first time, and I asked my sisters in prison ministry, please pray for me. And knowing that they were keeping me in prayer really helped me a lot. But you know what? The second time I presented, I was even more nervous because now I knew what to expect. I wasn't as self-assured as I thought I would be. But some of the early benefits from joining prison ministry was that it required me to study and make a decision about what topic I wanted to present. And I started off very grandiose. I was going to go through the whole book of Hebrews and tell these guys about that Jesus is our high priest, he's our lawyer, and he's our judge. I mean, what a perfect message for men in jail. Well, you know what? My first message fell really flat on their ears. So I thought, well, maybe I need to scale this back a little bit. So I abandoned my initial goal, and I found that what I really wanted the men to know was that Jesus loves them and that they're the children of God. And so I got excited. I talked about the living water, that we can all come to it and drink freely. Although each time I struggled and was challenged to find a topic, I knew I would never run out of information or stories to share from the Bible. And sometimes I'd have my whole mini-sermon ready to go, and the night before I'd be reading and studying, and I would change the whole topic. You know, you go into it in prayer, you ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes at the last minute you just get a flip-flop that maybe that's not really what you're to present that day. I often got cold feet and doubted my message, but I knew that the Holy Spirit could work through my feeble efforts to proclaim God's love for his children. One of the nicest benefits of going into the prison or the jail is that you have a captive audience. The men come in because they want to be there. There's a few of them that get pulled in by their friends, but they're eager for the word of God. And if they lack Bibles, we do our best to provide them through the ministry. During the testimony part of our hour, we encourage the men to share what's going on in their daily lives, their triumphs, their failures, and so forth. And, you know, we find out that many of them attended church as children, and they remember those experiences. They remember their grandmother taking them or their parents taking them. And I think this starts them to wonder, why did I ever leave? How did I get into this situation if I would have only followed what I knew? Some are versed in the Bible and they help the others find the scriptures. 
And sometimes you can read the disappointment and the loneliness on their faces. They may be scheduled for a hearing or sentencing that's coming up, and they're really, really down. And most of all, they miss their families. I'm generally a fairly positive and happy person, but you know, I have to keep my unique sense of humor in check, and that goes for prison ministry as well. But I remember one man who came into the meeting with such a sad, downtrodden face, almost looking angry or stubborn, and I made that my goal that day. I was gonna get a smile out of him. And it was my turn to present, and pretty soon I got a glint of a smile. And you know, when those men leave the presence of our, our hour together, they're different. They look different. Their countenance is held high. They smile, they're joyful, they're hopeful. And you know, we, we shake their hands when they come in, we shake their hands when they leave, but I'll tell you, it's awfully hard for me to resist wanting to just give them a big hug. After all, I'm their big sister. But we have guidelines we have to follow too, but sometimes we cheat. The time goes quickly, and we provide two services the fourth Sunday of each month. Usually there's only maybe four or eight in attendance, so it's not a big group. It's still big enough to scare you. On one occasion, we didn't have anyone come into the second service. And I think that was my turn to present, too. It was a little bit of relief. But then I realized that it was Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> We've had times when only one person came in, and it happened to be a time when I was presenting. And you know, at first I thought, oh, you know, this is kind of a waste of time. But actually it turned out to be very personal, like a personal Bible study and I actually had his attention. We've had delays when something else is going on in the jail, and we have to wait until the men are cleared to come in. We've had to evacuate once because there was a fight going on somewhere else in the jail. And as we were leaving, we saw the paramedics and the fire department pulling up. But the employees take great precautions to protect the visitors, and I don't feel unsafe when I'm in there. In conclusion, I just want to say that I understand now why Jesus commanded us to go into the prisons and to teach. It's not just to share his love or his word with others, but to be a source of comfort and encouragement to these men. Most of the men are young. They're under 40, and most of them are in there for drug or alcohol-related crimes. For many of them, this is not their first time in jail. They miss their families. They grieve the loss of their independence and freedom. And for the most part, they know why and accept why they are in jail. They've kicked themselves for their failures, and so has everyone else. They long to feel forgiven and at peace. And isn't that just what God gives us, his forgiveness and peace? Recently, I stress somewhat less than I did initially when I pre present the message to the men. I still struggle with the topic and limiting my uh, quotations from the Bible. 
I still have trouble keeping eye contact with them so I don't lose their attention. I'm somewhat stiff when I stand before them and I feel the awkwardness of being a woman presenting to men. I have to remind myself I'm doing this for Jesus. It's not about me, but it's for him. And I want to be an instrument in his hands, and I want to be involved in finishing the work so that we can receive our Lord in the clouds of glory and go home. For just a moment, I want you to imagine that one of your loved ones is in jail. What kind of encouragement would you want for them to have? Would you be grateful that they were being visited and being remembered in prayer? Hebrews 10.37 says, Yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And the Andrews Study Bible footnote elaborates this. It says that faith has two dimensions. It means confidence in God's promises and endurance in doing the will of God. And the last book and one of the last verses of the Bible in Revelation, John states, he who testifies of these things says, surely I'm coming quickly. We can say with John, amen. And even so, come Lord Jesus. I just want to invite you that if you don't know what it is that God wants you to do, if you want to hurry the time and finish God's work, please consider joining us in prison ministry because the time is at hand. Thank you.